forever. Dog! I worked as a kid, you know, and basically one of the reasons I loved it is because, you know, I was bullied in school and it was an escape from bullying. So to me, acting was a haven, you know, going to the studio or on stage. It was, you know, it, my safe, saving grace. It really was. Welcome to Household Faces, the podcast where a character actor interviews other character actors. I'm your host, John Ross Bowie. You might know me from The Big Bang Theory or Speechless or a series of commercials for TGI Fridays that I did back in 2002. Our guest is Rosalind Chow, the Joy Luck Club, MASH, After MASH, Freaky Friday. We are going to talk about all of it, her extensive training with the Peking Opera, and so much more. Rosalind and I met on an indie movie that we shot almost 20 years ago, God help us all, called Life of the Party um, that was about an intervention uh, uh, for an alcoholic. And I remember being struck at the time that it felt like a lifetime movie with a lot of cursing, and it made it to a couple festivals, and then Lifetime bought it, took out all the cursing, dubbed it with somebody who who wasn't me. I, di I didn't dub any of my own cursing, but I, I showed up for, to a screening and was like, yeah, that, that sounds like me saying fricking. Uh, it was a wild experience, and we had actually a really nice time working together on it. Crazy cast, Ellen Pompeo was in it before she was on Grey's Anatomy. Uh, Ian Bailey, who's on that show from, with former guest Harold Perrineau. Uh, Clifton Collins Jr., uh, right before he booked Capote. It was a bunch of people uh, really uh, coming up in their careers, and well-established people like David Clennon and Pamela Reed. Monstrously good cast, uh, and a really, um, a very intense tense month of shooting. Uh, I remember I, I had to do a scene up to my waist in a water hazard on a golf course. Uh, and I was like, but we all have to be body mic'd. And they're like, yeah, listen, we've got it super secured in a waterproof bag. Your mic pack that has the battery in it, you're totally safe. And I was like, am I? But I was. I live to tell the tale. Life of the party. You can find it somewhere, maybe. I think I bought my copy of it at a car wash. Anyway, please welcome Rosalind Chow. So you grew up in, in Orange County. Oh my God, we're starting with the you grew up. We're not starting with how long it's been since we've seen each other. We can, uh, okay. So Rosalind and I did a film together uh, that was, um, we shot it in 2004. And wow. it was released. Great memory. On the Lifetime channel. Well, it was right before I got married. So I remember being oh. like I was gearing up for uh, for the wedding while we were shooting this. It was a film about an intervention that showed up on Lifetime television uh, with all the cursing taken out. Um, uh, there was well, so much cursing. No fun. The whole movie was probably just blank. Blank audio, it was, right? Well, they had they they dubbed in the cursing, but they didn't ask me to dub in the cursing. They found somebody who sounded like me to dub in the cursing. Uh, movie's called Life of the Party. I have no idea if you can find it anywhere. I have a DVD copy because I'm a completist um, for my own career anyway. But um, it's um, it's a it's a crazy uh, film on a number of fronts because Ellen Pompeo pre Grey's Anatomy was our female lead, right? Uh, Clifton Collins a couple years before Capote was in it, right? 
um, uh, David Clennon, Pamela Reed. It's a, it's actually a really yeah. David and I have kept in touch over the years too. Clen- We've run into so. each other a few times. Yeah, he's a. I, I like that guy a lot. He's I a. He's love a, him. He's a really interesting guy. Um, you should have him on. I would love to have David Clennon on. I'm going to track him down. I've got his number somewhere here. Um, um, I'll give it to but you. that was an interesting piece of work. You paid, um, it, again, it's about an intervention of uh, a young alcoholic played by Ian Bailey. Um, and you play his his very concerned co-worker. And, you know, we're just going to dive into the deep end here, Rosalind, if, you, if, okay. if we're going to do this. I don't, do to this. be honest, I don't even, re- I don't remember anything about it, except I just had, I think, a wisdom tooth out or something. But I remember no nothing about the project isn't that weird i Did remember you do very that shoot little predominantly except on something that i won't share online but um i do remember one thing that uh, i won't share here all right well then when, when we stop recording you yeah. can we can get into <laughs> it well what was interesting about it is that you were asked to play a a pretty heavily accented character yeah um you're from are you from Anaheim or you, your parents worked in Anaheim? Uh, my parents, that's where I grew up. I grew up in Orange County and, um, yeah, I mean, that was kind of, you know, that was asked of me a lot. And, you know, I personally am not offended because heavily accented people exist. And mm-hmm. as long as you don't put on buck teeth and tiptoe around the room, I think, you know, if you can, um, you know, personalize them and make them into human beings, then I, there's value in that. E- even in comedy, you know, I, I mean, I think I got like Freaky Friday, you know, I almost, these are all, all the things I almost said no to, but then. Well, I was going to ask, are there know, times where, where your line is crossed and you're like, you know what, this is not doing anything for anybody who looks like me. I'd really rather not. Have there been moments yes. where where those were, they have okay so they'd many have, they'd have to so many. they would have to yeah I, I I can't even I couldn't even begin to name all of them and really? uh, you know it, it's it, it's more common than I wish it was they we um, don't have to get into specifics necessarily but are these projects that went on to a certain degree of renown the things um, you passed on. You know, I don't really follow. Let me just think. Maybe one or two. Okay. <laughs> but, okay. you know, like sometimes you meet the director, as you know, John, sometimes you meet the director. I, I love the director of Freaky Friday. And I knew that, you know, I, I was able to play. I was basically playing my dad. That is my father. Oh, to, interesting. In a nutshell, that's how he used to greet people at the restaurant. Um, That's right, because your your you know, father owned a, a is this correct a Chinese pancake house? Yeah, it was an American restaurant, American pancake house in the morning, okay. and at night it was a uh, you know sweet and sour, not really Chinese food, fake Chinese food. But, okay, okay, you know, interesting. Okay, so I'm that. sorry, you so you, that was the way your father used to to greet yeah. people at the restaurant. Yeah, the way you he greet. Was, my uh, dad was so charming and. You know, um, yeah, he would have his favorite customers and whenever he'd see them again, he would, you know, um, greet them with open arms, notice their haircut, notice that the kids grew up, whatever. He was, he didn't wait on tables or anything. He was at the cash register or, 
you know, just charming people overall. The um in Freaky Friday, your uh your your character and your the character of your mother provide the catalyst for the the body switch that that yeah. um that set off the whole thing. Um and there is a whiff of sort of exoticism in the way it's presented, but you're right. There is a certain amount of of warmth and truth in the way it's presented. Do you feel comfortable watching that movie now? Do you show that movie to your kids? Yeah, my kids, yeah. I I don't have a problem with it. And like I said, I just, I'm so fond of the director, Mark Waters. And since then he had... um, you know, he cast me in other things where I just played the friend. He tried, he's tried to like get me in on other things too. But um, overall, yeah, he's cross cast me many times. And so as a result, he's not ignorant at all. In fact, on set, we had a very, um, you know, it was a short schedule, a, a very quick schedule. And um, I do remember me bringing to him, how about I have the accent and then when they're not watching, I actually go back into my regular, or when I'm whispering to them, I go back to talking the way I do. And he was like, mm, yeah, I don't know. I, I I don't, I don't think so. Maybe later. And then later didn't come and I didn't want to bring it up again. Awkward. And then I get a call from him one day I'm, you know, on the road and he said, where are you? And I said, I'm in Hollywood. And he said, can you come over to the uh, Universal right now? We're looping and I want to try that thing. And so I went So there. just to clarify for, for the audience, looping is when you go in and, and sort of replace dialogue for whatever. But sometimes it's usually just for like little audio reasons. But exactly. in this case, but in this case, you went it back was, to do. It was to try a new idea. And I went and as as I did it and we watched playback, I turned to him and I was like, it doesn't work, does it? Because my body language didn't change. Oh, so, you know, it just, it, it didn't quite, it was weird. It was a weird, um, yeah, it didn't make sense. And so they didn't use it. But he's just, he's a delight, an absolute delight to work with. If you ever get to work with him, just jump. I, I'd love to work with Mark Waters. I've met um, his brother, uh, Daniel. Who oh, wrote yeah. Heather's, and I've worked with right. um, his wife, um, uh, with Mark Waters' wife, Dina. Um, oh yeah, she's who, lovely. She's lovely. Yeah. Um, let's stay in Orange County for okay. a moment. Um, really? <laughs> you? I, I know. I know. We're, we'll get out of there soon. Don't worry. We only have an hour, and I'm not going to spend the whole thing in Anaheim. Okay. Don't you worry. I limit the time I spend in Anaheim. You you received Peking Opera training. Yeah. In, in but not in Orange County. No, my parents used to send me to Taiwan, Taiwan. Um, wow. over the summer. And so all that stuff you see in Kung Fu movies, I was really good at. I mean, yeah. I, I, I used mean, to that's where that. all the giants, that's where Sammo Hung, Jackie Chan, all those guys right? trained in the right. Peking Opera, which is, I mean, we have no corollary in Western culture for no, that level of training. Because often they were sent as... Um, the guy who taught me was sent, he was from a family of, oh gosh, I can't remember, eight kids. And um, he, you know, they just want, need to get rid of 
some of them, so they sent them to the Chinese opera school. Oh <laughs> and, um, you know, he was, he was adept at being um, the Monkey King, uh, mm -hmm. which I think is going to be a cartoon. And um, he taught me the Chinese opera. Well, the opera, Monkey King the is, a, is a major figure in, in Buddhist, uh, um, I'm going to say mythology at the risk of offending people. In, Buddh exactly. in Buddhism, uh, he is a key figure in, in finding the original scrolls that, that contained the, the precepts of the Buddha, I think. Exactly. Wow, you know your stuff. Exactly. Okay. Um, so, you know, I would, you know, go there over the summer and then practice um, out here. My parents were um, amateur Peking opera lovers. My uncle was a very famous Peking opera star um, in China. And uh, so my parents really continued that tradition to the extent that I used to say that they loved Peking opera more than they loved us. <laughs> but, um, okay. but yes, it was, it was, uh, I know. <laughs> That's intense. All right. Uh, yeah, that is. <laughs> Don't get me started. <laughs> well, no, we should though. If, I mean, what are we doing here if we're not going to get you started on this? Um, was there a moment where, did you ever feel comfortable enough saying like, I don't know if I, I, I need to necessarily do these you know, all my friends are going to camp in Lake Arrowhead. Why am I doing these backbreaking acrobatics? I'm eight. Yeah. Were there moments right. where you, you felt yeah. comfortable asking that? Um, you know, I don't know what was wrong with me. I was a no. dutiful daughter. Okay. It wasn't till high school that I only looked dutiful, but wasn't. But early on, I was very dutiful. So, no, I went. And you know what? I... I did enjoy my time and got very attached to the um, Peking Opera students. In fact, I think my teacher, my mother, I harangued my mother and she ended up helping him to come to the U.S. And I think he's now an engineer in the U.S. and has kids. And oh, wow. um, but, yeah, it, it was um, it was fun for me. And, you know, I have um, I'm good at yoga now because of it. <laughs> Did you, what, what is a day like in Peking opera training? What is a, you, you, oh my what God. is it? Yeah, okay. So not it. only did I have, I had Peking opera training and then later on in my teens, I studied with a woman named, um, Chim Pei Pei, who's, um, who shows up very, in the Mulan, uh, yes. remake. What yeah. She's, um, she's right? a legend. She's in come drink with me. Yes, exactly. She was a female Bruce Lee. Yeah. Um, and big Hong Kong movie star and yeah. Um, you studied under she, her when you were a kid? Oh, yeah. She was like a surrogate. I mean, if you asked her, we laughed about it because I, when I was in my teens, I did not like doing it as much anymore. But um, she would have, yeah, she, if she had her way, you know, she actually tried to talk me into going to Hong Kong and doing a movie with her um, uh, when I was in college, but I didn't. Um, but yes, yeah, so part of that training, the reason why I got into that is you would put your leg up on a, um, like a ballet bar, but there it was like a, a, you know, a table and you would just keep it there. Those were your rest periods and read or, and to this day, Chum Pei Pei's daughter and I laugh about how I still put my leg up while I brush my teeth because that's, it's like. It, I know it's crazy, right? We still, you must I be so to, limber, though. 
Like I'm, I'm, I'm a bit younger than you and I feel myself stiffening up and I limp out of bed every morning and you've got to just be this, you know, incredibly, you know, centered, flexible human being because of this. I mean, I'm trying to put a a bright face on this. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. It can, it can go either way. It depends on if it's winter or summer, but, um, uh, yeah, she's, she, she had a a remarkable influence on me as well. Cause I, I don't know. I, you know, I was really toying with not acting. I'm always toying with not acting anymore. Um, but back then, you know, I, I think she used to have, um, there was a, um, movie director and I didn't even know who he was at the time, but he used to sit in on my lessons and, um, King Wu, do you know who he is? King Wu. I don't know King Wu. I know a King Ha. I didn't know either. Okay. Um, but he was her mentor and he used to sit in on the lessons and, you know, it was all about, um, uh, elevating that wuxi, you know, so, yeah. Wuxi is the, um, wuxu, (laughs) or however, whichever dialect. I've, yeah, I've heard it. How is your, is, uh, which do you speak, Mandarin or Cantonese or a little both? Mandarin. Mandarin. Um, what, um, uh, when, when we say, uh, wuxia, do we mean the, the, the swordplay aspect or just the martial arts in general? It all comes, the basis of all of it is um, Peking opera. So sometimes I'll see a a fight scene in a movie and it is basically the standard, there's a basic, almost like in ballet, you have first position, second position, third position. Uh, So there's a basic fighting thing, you know, one, two, three turn. And that's in every every, um, fight scene. Uh, with somebody who's not a wushu star who's just learning you know it's a basic movement dance okay. i guess you would call it um yeah i i i just looked up uh uh can't well, yeah i think there's um uh i think he did a couple of i think he did dragon in which is a masterpiece which is really really good um so wow yeah i had no idea you were that you were that close to that um that school of 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 martial arts um but it's you so mentioned funny because i was so disinterested and every time <laughs> i go deep in something I, it's always something i'm very disinterested in that everybody else turns out to be very interested in you know i'm usually clueless So you went to college, not for theater, but for journalism. Well, I was English, an English major first. And okay. then, um, as was I, I. Uh, then, you know, when I, I started working when I was, um, I, I started working as a kid. Somebody found me in my parents' restaurant, blah, blah, blah. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, so as I started working more, I couldn't, um, you know, I, I went to, I, transferred to USC where I could do, uh, you know, leaving school for six months and still get good grades. <laughs> <Terrible. laible> <laughs> but uh, do you think I you also, really at USC, you, you could, you could, you could slack off that well, or not slack then, off. But, back, yeah, in the, okay. back in the day. Now it's a very, you know, it's now you have to lie to get in there. <laughs> 
right? Oh my now, god! You, now you got to fake that your child's so athletic juicy. records. Oh, so juicy. Isn't that crazy? So crazy. That was cr- anyway. Don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> that that that's another podcast. We can we can uh, we can we can glide over that. But um, so you transferred to USC uh, with an eye on journalism. Um, yes, originally I was an English major, but journalism just happened because you know my father was all about you have to have a backup. You got you, you can't just act. You have to have a backup. Um, so and you, you had know, done some work. You'd done some professional work. I worked as a kid, you know, yeah. and basically one of the reasons I loved it is because you know I was bullied in school, and it was an escape from bullying so um to me acting was a haven you know going to the studio or on stage it was um it was uh you know uh, my safe saving grace it really you bullied were you bullied uh um just the way a, a lot of kids are bullied or was it more racially motivated Yes. It, yes to all of it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I was not, you know, yeah, I was nerdy, you know, it was, it, I was not a pretty picture. Let's just put it that way. And so that and the ethnic thing and, you know, having Chinese food in my lunchbox. I mean, the whole thing was, it was childhood was not easy other than acting. So, um, I think that's why I like going to Taiwan as well. And, sure. you know, um, uh, it was all an escape. Yeah. So when the journalism uh, started, you know, doors were really opening because Connie Chung was huge then. Right. And um, I had a writing teacher named Jim Zalian who really um, I, took me under his wing. I just, I took this news writing class. I took a night class because of course I was filming during the day and um, he really um, took me under his wing and offered me like a a radio, you know, an internship. And at first I kept saying, oh, not now, not now. And he harangued me um, Mm. to do one. And that was what kind of made me understand that oh acting is really what i love you, you know how did yes, it make you understand it would have been that easier well you know i remember at one point i was in a a big tv movie and it was showing they used to have the screens showing while you were writing a story and you could see the cbs's feed and the feed came over showing me in a preview for something and then uh at the time, somebody took me aside and said, okay, we really want to promote you. And we've already, you know, had you uh, on, on the radio asking questions. If you want more, you're going to have to um, leave Screen Actors Guild. Um, and I, and they said, you have to make a choice. And that's when it became very clear to me. Because of the conflict of interest? Was... Sorry? Yes. Because of the conflict Back of interest. Back in the day. Okay. Um, you had to be ethically, you know, very clean. Those days are over. But <laughs> there was a time when news and entertainment were kept actually separate. Yes. Yeah, there used to, to be a that. class called um, ethics and journalism. I bet you anything that doesn't exist anymore. That's a wasted three credits. Um, the <laughs> um, 
But have you taken, I mean, you know, journalism is an intense field. Have you taken any of the, the stuff you picked up in journalism? Does you, do you ever find it making its way into your acting process? Oh, yeah. I mean, all the time. Uh, English did, too. I mean, I basically, you know, that book, Elements of Style? I yeah. basically had that memorized. So, um, you know, to this day, if I see something um, that I don't approve of in a script, um, it sounds so anal. But if I see, I don't know, poor, poor, how do I put it a little more tactfully? Uh, if I see stupid writing, basically, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like misspellings and oh. I don't even, I just close it up. I don't even know. I'm the same way. And I, I, I really? always look at like, if I get a typo in my sides and I'm like, this typo made all the way to casting. Right. All the way to I casting. <laughs> right. I am. What what kind of set is this going to be if this exactly. fucking typo, if this misuse of there, there, or there makes it all the way to <laughs> no. casting? That means it made it past all these executives. It made it past a screenwriter and a director and a script coordinator. All the way, I'm the last piece of this puzzle. <laughs> I'm with you 100%. 100%. Why haven't we kept in touch over the years? It's because crazy. I know. Because everybody else rolls their eyes when I say that. But it drives me crazy. Up every available fucking wall. I hear you. I absolutely hear you. <laughs> I um no, we're 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 supposed to hang out more. Um we'll exchange all our all our uh all our information at the end of this. Um so I I I have the weirdest memory because we the thing about the the movie that we shot is that it was a four week shoot but one week was just all of us sitting around a table um for the actual intervention so i remember just you know hours and hours of just people talking you know it was a real foxhole mm -hmm. for a while there um and i remember you telling me a crazy story about booking mash where you yeah. played jamie farr's wife did you lie about your age? I not intentionally. Um, okay. What happened is they got the paperwork. You know, as an emancipated minor, I had graduated. You know, back in the day, um, and don't misunderstand. My parents were not tiger parents by no means. If anything, <laughs> I was like a little more latchkey. But um, I went to a school where they believed in putting kids ahead you know a couple grades and that's what happened to me and i was uh i would never do this to my kids but i was crazy young when i graduated from high school and when i went to college it so was what like 16 not it's not good younger not how old good. were you when you went to college <laughs> too young <laughs> but then when i got mash i they did not know my age i don't think and i was at the grocery store and i saw and that I was told I had the role. And then I was at the grocery store and I saw the National Enquirer, you know, by the cash register. And it had a picture of another woman um, saying that she was going to be in the last episode of MASH. And I, at this point, I, had, I think I'd already signed a non-disclosure. I can't remember. But um, they, uh, not a non-disclosure, but a thing where you don't do publicity ahead of the episode um, okay. that they used to make you sign. But um, so I called my agent and I said, what happened? 
And he said that, uh, well, when they saw your paperwork, they got very nervous about how it would appear because I think Jamie Farr was already probably in his forties, you know, and they said they were worried about how that would appear. He said, unless you're 26, are you 26? And I said, yes, I am. (laughs) (laughs) You, so I want to, I want to be perfectly continuing. I I want to keep the tonight show. I had to lie everywhere. And it's pre-internet. So no one's the wiser. And exactly, and, but, but, the internet but, didn't exist. But to clarify this, you, a female actor in Los Angeles, added years to your age. Oh, I did it regularly because back then, it, also once, and I tell my kids this: once you lie, it's you cannot catch up with it. I mean, oh, what a tangled just, web we but, weave! Yeah, yeah, it's just not. So now I'm overly honest, which is really sickening to everyone around me. But um, um, yeah, it, it because back in those days, the good roles were usually, you know, somebody who's older and, you know, the Asian Americans roles were they were n- not nice people. And I was just dying to play a villain dying to play a villain. I was so sick of being the, you know, um, the, the poor me character. And I was always the poor me character. I, I think my husband still teases me about the line, um, I feel the, I feel the sand moving beneath my feet. I mean, I had to say lines like that so often I was this on was this on on mash or after mash that was on tv on some episodic thing okay it wasn't on (laughs) mash that they they had really good writing on mash and that was just i was so blessed to have my first huge experience being with people that classy and that lovely and warm they were so kind well this is something that comes up on our podcast a lot actually is that we get a lot of actors who join well-established shows late in their run, in your case, extremely late in your run, <laughs> in season episode. 11. Yeah. Um, what is, I mean, and it's hard to explain to our younger listeners the phenomenology surrounding MASH. It remains, the finale remains the most watched episode of sitcom television in history. And no one is going to touch that record the way television is fragmented in the ensuing 40 years. But what was it like hopping on to that, you know, I use this metaphor all the time, hopping onto that moving train? Well, the good thing about being young is nothing really intimidates you that much. You know, I was a little bit worried about finals. I was worried about things that really were not as, you know, that seemed um, big in my life at the time, but were really not. Um, so the first table read, I'll never forget. Um, it was the table read of the last episode and, and at the end of the table, you know, Mike Farrell was crying during, they were all crying during it. And I, you know, I hadn't really followed the mash arc, you know, I knew of it, but it, it didn't, it meant, you know, I knew it was a big deal, but, um, so uh, there I am dry eyed, like looking around and, you know, not not really weeping with them. Um, but 
on my first day, I remember, uh, you know, there were a lot of extras and I went to sit with the extras and which is not a problem, you know, at, at all. But I remember at one point, I think I was squatting with them or something. <laughs> and I remember Jamie Farr comes over and he says, honey, you've got a chair with cigar in this. You've got a chair over here, you know, and bring me over to the chair. And um, they were, you know, Alan Alda. Like if I sat at the table alone for lunch, Alan Alda would come over and sit with me. Um, I know, right? He also taught me how to loop. We were talking about looping before ADR. I did not understand ADR at the time. And I remember him coming up. And to this day, that's my real gift. I'm really not that good of an actor, but Stop I'm it. great at ADR. I, that's uh, that's fifty percent bullshit. I won't have it. Um, I, I I will not. I absolutely will not tolerate that that kind well, of trash. Well, I talk. will tell you. Whenever sound guy comes up and says, oh, "We're going to have to loop this," I'm so sorry. I'm like, "Yes, that's good for <laughs> Come me." Come at me, bro. <laughs> you don't even know who you're asking. Um, what was it? So, I mean, let's get technical. We 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 get really technical on this podcast, and and I enjoy it. Looping is a very specific skill. It's a very right. It's very musical. It's uh, you're standing. It's it's m sometimes months after you've actually shot the thing. You're standing in a studio. Ninety percent of the time, it's in Burbank. You're dressed completely differently. You're standing there. Um, no one is around. You're by yourself most of the time, and you've got to match or God help you change the dialogue that's on the screen or fill in new dialogue while your back is turned. What is it that that Alda imparted to you that you've held on to? Um, he would, I remember, you know, I was projecting to the screen mm -hmm. and he came over in front of me and, you know, stood there and said, do it to me here. So, which is great because right when you're doing yeah. ADR, you just have to imagine that that person is on the other side of the microphone. You got to keep it conversational and that can be the hardest yeah. thing. And yeah. I did not know that then, um. Oh God, there were so many tips that he gave me. Um, I think one of them was, uh, um, you look at, you know, you get the line down and then just look at the screen. Whereas I was reading the line, you know, there were so oh, many yeah. things. I don't want to bore everyone, but you know. No, no, so I think this is, that... I mean, honestly, this is why there, you know, there's uh, um, uh, an actor and not a, a, a journalism, uh, a journalist hosting this podcast is because I want to <laughs> talk about these specific little tricks because it is a very right. specific art and you you can hear when someone is reading versus when someone is reciting from memory you can exactly. hear that difference and you and, have to let what's happening on the screen happen to you emotion when i um did adr for um what dreams may come mm -hmm. i remember back then they had that's the, the robin score. williams film from right about 20, yeah right and it was about the afterlife, mm -hmm. um, life, death, and the afterlife. And um, it was directed by a director who I'm so fond of. I just visited in New Zealand, um, Vincent Ward. Mm -hmm. And um, we were on the looping stage. And that music, it, they changed the score. But the music was by Ennio Morricone. Oh, right. And so the music would start. And... We'd say the and I could not stop weep. I mean, it was oh. I had learned <laughs> Alan Aldous lesson too well, and 
we would have to stop and, you know, blow my nose. And, you know, the whole day was kind of that. Um, so you do have to kind of invest yourself to that level. I really do believe you have to perform. You can't just say, okay, I'm just going to say the word this way and make it sound like that. It doesn't really come out right. Am I yeah. right? Do you think? Yeah, you've got to right. keep a certain immediacy to it. Exactly. They can be very that's hard why the, weeks after the fact. Right? That's why the um, Freaky Friday um, ADR didn't work because it just didn't match my body. I, it didn't match the whole thing. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, uh, so when, when Aftermash wasn't, how to put this, when Aftermash was not met with the universal acclaim that its predecessor was. Right. <laughs> um, how did that, I mean, you'd had this sudden rush of like incredible good fortune. I mean, you, you get on the end of this thing and then you get onto the spinoff and the spinoff looks like a lock. And, and, and listen, I have friends who worked on Joey. So, you know, this, the, these things happen. Um, well, what was that, what was that like for, for Rosalind the person? What was that? Did you feel kind of shipwrecked or were you like, okay, someone's going to come along or, to be honest, I was probably, I mean, it's, I can't believe I'm admitting, but first of all, I, I always, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I, I think I said no to Aftermath at first. Really? Um, yeah, I know, okay. but, okay. um, I got, you know, talked into it and. Well, well, why, well back up. Why did you say no at first? I think, I think I thought. I don't know what I thought. I, you know, first of all, I am a huge commitment phobic person. This okay. person who's been married for 30 years. Yes. <laughs> I am hugely commitment phobic. Like I buying a couch used to be so stressful for me, you know? Um, so th that was part of it, but also I just thought, okay, now I've played soon Lee. I want to do something else, you know? Um, but anyway, I ended up doing it and I loved working with, you know, what a wonderful group of people. And I'm still friendly with Ken Levine, who, you know, um, was on the show or the wrote audience. on the show and yeah. on MASH and then later Cheers. But um, so we, I had fun, but then when it was over, I didn't even think about it, honestly, other than missing, you know, Harry and um, Jamie and, um, the gang. Um, but other than that, I, it really, uh, yeah, isn't that terrible? I just, no, did not I, at all. It didn't, it was like, Look, a you were, you me. were, you were not actually 26. We were all young once. Um, yeah. And <laughs> you also were fake 26. the other thing is I don't do, um, you know, I still really have a hard time with those long-term series, you know, the 22 episode mm. thing that was never, something that I was dying to do. Other people were dying for me to do it, but I would always try and get out of it. Uh, you know, I, my husband did a series and I'll never forget hearing this the is your husband, Simon Templeman. Sorry, Simon You're... Templeman. He did a series called, uh, the neighbors that Dan Fogelman had created. Um, that's the aliens and... in the suburbs. Yeah. It was yeah. really fun. Yeah. Um, it was a good show. Yeah, I thought so. 
But uh, I'll, I'll never forget hearing the garage. And so we did that for two years. And then I didn't work during that time because I was on duty with the kids. And I would hear the garage door open at five in the morning. And I'd think, oh, thank God it's him, not me. <laughs> <laughs> Get out there. Bring home the bacon, buddy. That's exhausting. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It was funny. I was I was under the impression that you had been a series regular on Deep Space Nine. I was mistaken. That was a recurring role. There's another stupid thing that I did. Um, I was in England visiting my then boyfriend when Star Trek, I got the call to uh, test for Star Trek. I had already done the audition process. And they said, it's down to you and somebody else, but you're really... They really, you, you, this will probably be yours. And I was like, Star Trek, I'm not flying back for Star Trek. I mean, it's been done. That was me. And so this Never is, this is, this would be TNG though. This wouldn't be Deep Space Nine TNG, yet, right? Because you, because yes. Keiko started on Next Generation. Exactly. Okay. And then um, uh, shortly, and then when they did Deep Space Nine, you know, at that point, I, I think I was, pregnant when they first were, um, you know, putting together the cast and everything. And I do remember at one point seeing somebody on set with their little kid in a stroller. And I remember saying, oh, how great that you brought your kid to work. And the person said, um, oh, yeah, well, it's his birthday today. And I remember thinking, note to self. Because I was a latchkey kid and my parents were always working and I didn't really get that you know, family, happy days, family thing in my life. I did okay. not want that for my kids. So when Deep Space Nine came around, I said, no, but I'll do recurring. And then Rick Berman called me up and said, he was one okay, of the I'm not, who's the executive producer of okay. Deep Space Nine and was uh, the next generation as well. And he said, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not saying this for me because we're happy to do recurring. But um, I'm saying this for you, Rosalind. Do you know what you're saying? And I was like, yeah, I, I know. What are you talking about? <laughs> and he said, uh, well, it's just, you know, financially. And um, so at one point, Simon, my husband, was um, he was in the Royal Shakespeare Company with Patrick. And I think at some point had played his son. And so later on, we all kind of became very friendly. And Patrick invited us to his house for tea. And as we're walking up to the house, my husband turns to me and says, never give me career advice. Never, ever. So, um, so as, John, as don't ask not, me for career advice. I'm, I okay, I'm just, we're just talking about stories. We're just telling stories right now. Um, if you couldn't tell from the name Simon Templeman, he's British. Um, but yes. the um, yeah, I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't ask you uh, yeah, for don't. career advice. I'm don't. not going to. No. I'm but um, there's an episode a few seasons into Deep Space Nine called The Assignment, where you are possessed by an alien force who threatens to kill I Keiko. This one. 
I thought you might. Yes. And this yes. is your chance to play the villain after, after you know, 20 years in the business, 15, 20 years in the business. This is your chance to play, and it is a transformative performance. It's really? really I haven't seen it. It but is. I had it's, fun. It's amazing. Do you remember, like, were you warned ahead of time, like, hey, we've got some real something really fun for you to do? Because Keiko is a, I mean, she's a civilian. She's a botanist. She right. is so kind and sweet. She is this rock of support for O'Brien. And then you, Rosalind, gets to play this malevolent force trapped inside her body. And right, I do remember that episode, and I remember that I had so much fun. I haven't watched it. Um, I don't watch any of my. Do you watch your stuff? I, I don't watch any of my. Not stuff. super. Not, yeah. not nothing too old because I don't need to be reminded how I'm aging like an apple core. But um, stop it. I'll you watch something. You look... I'll I'll watch something recent as um. You know, just honestly, just to kind of give myself notes. I don't beat myself up. I don't cringe. I'm just like, oh, that went pretty well. That was a decent choice. Mm, Could have done that oh, better. I, I try to get pretty You're clinical healthy. about it. I'm not actually, but about this one particular thing, I, I can stay out of my my own way for the most part. I have I have the same that's like good. you know imposter syndrome breakdowns that everybody has. But um, yeah, I, that's why I love theater because you just go out there every night. You can fix it the next night, and you can just you know. You can think you're really good and never, <laughs> never know the truth. Um, <laughs> well, I'm we'll not get... saying you. I'm saying. No, you meant me. I get it. You meant me. <laughs> um, we'll get to theater in a moment. But yeah. So what do you what do you remember about about the assignment? What do you remember about that that particular uh, role? Because it's such I haven't seen you. I had certainly never seen you do, any, do anything like that beforehand. Not in anything no. large anyway. No, uh, you know, that was, I do remember one moment very clearly. I don't remember a lot. You know, I was so sleep deprived. I had a um, newborn. Oh, God. um, Or on the set. And, um, but what I remember so clearly was at one point, I think, am I preparing food or something from the, um, What's that thing called? The simulator or the thing? Yeah. That well, you make a um, you or... make a you 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 make a lavish a replicator. <laughs> the replicator, yes. You make a lavish dinner for Colm's uh, uh, for Colm's birthday. Yes. So there was a thing where um, I think it drops on the in in when we we're filming it, something drops on the ground, and mm-hmm. he's not looking. And I I picked it during the shot. You know, you only get one or two takes. I picked it up and made it into a thing, like a very quick thing, but like a bad waitress at a restaurant, you know, like what happens behind the scenes. And I thought it was really, in my mind afterwards, I was like, oh, I'm so glad that happened. And they came over and said, we're going to have to do take two because in, in Star Trek, nothing drops, nothing. You don't pick something up after there are no mistakes things like that don't happen and i remember that being like kind of a pivotal moment for me thinking oh well that's not what i like about acting though you know what i mean it was it really registered um but but isn't that don't you think that would have been a good moment i think it would have been amazing and it's my 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 grievance sometimes with the franchise is the the lack of spontaneity sometimes 
and in in and it, it's you can tell it's the directing because there's it doesn't matter who's on the show. Um, you know, Louise Fletcher is on an episode with you, and and yeah. know, there's, in, there's incredible people on that show. Incredible, some of the greatest in the English language have done that show. But there is something about like the Star Trek style that is yes. um, it is kind of old fashioned in a way. Yes, um, exactly. And 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 it does not allow for those happy accidents that yeah, make which it... I love. Yeah, I, mean, those no, are, I do too. You know, that's what makes acting so delicious sometimes you just catch lightning in a bottle and something happens and you think oh my god that wasn't genius that was pure luck you know yeah and we caught it and we had a and we yeah. had a, a moment the gods yeah. were smiling the acting gods were smiling on us that's fantastic <laughs> um i dig deep space nine though because it's it's the it's the most philosophical of the more of, than tng i think so yeah because there's because it's about a community before it's about a mission. You know, it's about... It, it, I, go ahead. Well, it was a little... It was darker. I do yeah. remember that. I mm -hmm. remember, um, you know, the set was dark. Mm -hmm. You know, all the regulars, the camera crew, they were in the dark all day long from, mm. you know, 5 a.m. till when they came out, they never saw daylight, really. Uh, yeah. literally um yeah. so it was it, it was a darker show whereas i think tng had shorter I, I can't remember i just remember thinking that it wasn't quite as heavy as well the palette i mean just the absolute i mean there's a there's a look to the star the uh the all the star trek shows from that era but the palette is 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 uh darker colors across the board right. on, on ds9 the walls of the station are darker than the walls of the enterprise um, exactly. It's, there, there is a, a an aesthetic difference that I think is reflected in the scripts, and again, there's yeah. you know a series of of terrorist incidents inspired by your uh, heretical teachings at one point. Gosh, I don't remember that at all. I oh, it's a good one. It's the season one finale. Isn't that um, no, it's okay. Hey, listen, you do your thing. Let's um, let's talk about uh, oh, around. Let's awful. stay in the '90s for a moment. Um, okay. Uh, can we talk about Joy Luck Club for a moment? Yeah, that was during, um, I think I had just said no, I can't remember. It, it, anyway, it was simultaneous with the Deep Space Nine people wanting um, to book me as a regular. And they kindly said, even if I was regular, I could still go over to um, Joy Luck Club. But um, there was another one. I turned that down three times. Why? Massively successful What's wrong book. with me? Well, no, okay, but, I was but, pregnant. Okay, well, that's hard. Um, I think at one point Wayne Wong's wife called and we spoke. I think that was the turning point. I think at one point my husband turned to me and said, okay, this is ridiculous. I Because I didn't want my kids to be, I don't know, I had this fantasy of my kids not being quote unquote nanny kids, you know, mm -hmm. babysitting babysitter kids yeah, that makes sense. and um so and i was pregnant um when i was cast and gave birth i think um maybe just a week before we started rehearsals wow. um and like two weeks before we shot i can't remember the timeline but um yeah i was still you know i had a newborn on set um and so that was you know, that was why I said no. And I remember uh, 
meeting with a pediatrician who was talking to me because at one point there was talk about me doing something that that would go to China. And I remember a pediatrician, you know, giving, showing me, he said, this is like, imagine your hand is damp. You put your hand in a baggie full of rice and you take your hand out. And those are the germs that you will be exposing your newborn to uh, in the early, in the first month or two. If you, if you fly that kid to China. Exactly. Okay. Um, so, um, yeah. So I ended up doing Joy Luck, and um, I was supposed to do a dual role, um, which I think Amy Tan had talked about in a couple things I'd forgotten, but she'd sent the screen test of all of us. Um, and I was supposed to do a dual role where I played Rose, the daughter, and I also played um, the grandmother in oh, China. So when she was a concubine and oh, she wow. eats opium and dies. Yeah, yeah. But that was my baby was having a very hard time with, you know, breastfeeding. And um, like I said, the first month of his life. And at one point I got back in the trailer and my husband's like, oh my God, I can't imagine doing this through Christmas. And I was like, you know what? You're right. And so I called up Wayne and I said, hey, Wayne, how about having, he has a wife who's a wonderful actress. She was in, um, I think, is it Eat a Bowl of Tea? She, wonderful actress. And I said, can you have Cora do the part that takes place in China? And I just remember him saying, oh, Roz, you're uh. making so much trouble for me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, you know, I uh, just took the one I did. We were already partway through filming the rose part of the section. And then um, Vivian Wu stepped in. She was wonderful as uh, the concubine. But Oh, is that Vivian um, Wu? Oh, I don't think I realized was, that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, um, yeah, that's how that happened. But what? that was the role. I have to tell you, when we we're rehearsing that role, that was the role that really hit me. And I still look back at that and think, why didn't I just push through? You know, babies are more durable than we think they are, you know. I mean, he still gets neurotic when he's hungry, but other than that, I mean, what would have been different? He would have he would have been fine. What um uh so the role that the role of the the grandmother in uh in China, that's the role that you kind of view as something that kind of got away. Yes, yeah. definitely. That's mm. that is definitely. Um, I pushed it away. I yeah. pushed away. I'm really. I do not make the best decisions in the no, moment. I've already decided that you're never going to be my need... agent. You're you're never <laughs> absolutely going to be my agent. I'm putting my foot down. We're going to stay in touch this time, but you're never. I'm not coming to you for any. No, don't career. come to me for advice. advice. Whatsoever. I'm better now because my kids actually were have been the ones who pushed me out the door. But you know, it's a neurosis. I think. Do you have this where you think sometimes like? Suddenly, when somebody wants to hire you, you kind of think, oh, how good can it be if they <laughs> I am hungry enough that I don't have to. I usually am. I, it's very, I mean, here's the thing. I'm in a very, very different place because, you know, there's not a single point in my career 
where I have to look at a role and be like, mm, what does this say about me and my fellow white men? Because we're covered. We are right. represented yeah, on all good. fronts. Don't worry about it. I can play an unsavory yeah. character. There's going to be six great white people in the movie. I'll be fine. You know, it's not right. a, it's not something I have to worry about at all. So I, I kind of just go where the work takes me. But I, 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 I feel for you, and I, I, I can understand as much as we're we're having a laugh at. Um, your your various instances of career suicide i i feel like there's <laughs> there's good reasons for these things but let's let's stay on joy luck club for a moment it's i mean it's usually love or parenting that has okay. made me um yeah yeah step away. and those are really good reasons those are really yeah, really me. good reasons yeah yeah um what was it so despite despite um uh, passing on the, on it for a little while. While you were working on it, did you get a sense? I mean, you've got an Asian director, you've got a predominantly Asian cast. Plus, for the for the Gen Xers, you've got uh, Andrew McCarthy as your husband. So that's fun. Come on. And I had a crush on him when he was, you know, in all those movies. Oh, you mean like every single woman your age did? Right. <laughs> that was heaven. <laughs> so but 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 did you get a sense of like oh this could be this could be kind of a, a watershed moment um you know no isn't that crazy i loved uh, you know i'm usually i was so in the process i honestly i didn't really get to socialize with the girls i was all i was in my trailer trying to get the breastfeeding thing happening mm -hmm. Almost and also the four the, the stories time. are segmented too. So like there's, there's a couple too. of ensemble scenes, but mostly it's just like you and your spouse, exactly. and the, and those are the branches of the of the film. Exactly. So um, at the time, I just knew that working with Wayne. I remember thinking we had some weird kind of ESP. Like sometimes he could start a sentence, and I'd say, "Oh, like yellow," you know, like you know what I mean. Like he would be thinking and and. And I'd say, well, I, I feel like maybe this might not be working because, and then he'd finish my sentence. I just felt like we had a weird, um, yeah. So I did enjoy that. And I knew we were really in really good hands visually as well, because Amir, the, um, I can't remember his last name, the cinematographer was spectacular. I just worked with him on um, First Ladies as well. And he's still spectacular. He's just it's a beautiful I, I, looking I knew film. It, was it a is win -win. a beautifully shot film. Like every right? scene is very well composed. And then composed. Amy Tan writing it. Yeah. You know, Amy and Ron Bass. That's I mean, right. they were like the A team. And a Amy and Ron were really um, on the set, very present. Mm -hmm. um, I originally had a nude scene that I've talked about this before that, um, or said, after the fact, Wayne had thought this would be kind of not a nude scene, but it was a bathtub scene. It's not like they were going to show that much. But I remember the night before Amy's going over it and I sound like such a crybaby, but I remember like just starting to get very upset and her saying, um, are you not comfortable with this? And me saying, well, I'm just thinking I, I'm now a mom and I don't know how this is going to affect my kids later on and I feel like crying right now just talking about it because she looked at me with such empathy and she's like I can fix that and she rewrote the scene and the monologue with me just like rubbing um lotion on myself after a bath <laughs> that's nice and that was Amy's you know what I mean yeah just and I'm so grateful because my kids 
they show that movie at the lo our local public high school to every freshman class, English class. Really? So each of my kids, my kids are very far apart in age, but they've each sat in that English class and had to see their mother on screen while they're going through puberty. That alone is bad enough. Had it been um, also a bathtub scene on top of that. Yeah, that's, that's and they would have shown the bathtub scene because it's not like it sh was, you know. So I'm very grateful to Amy. And That's yeah. a lovely story. That's a good feeling when you feel that that protected. Um, oh, she was just, just a look of empathy on her face was so, she's a lovely person. <laughs> What was it like working on the OC as an OC native? That was fun. You know, that first season, I remember thinking the scripts were just really, you know, wicked and yeah. fun. And yeah. um, once again, I did not know it was going to be, you know, what it turned out to be. I mean, mm -hmm. I was once in the ER and the doctor came over and was like, I'm a huge fan of the OC and is Rachel Bilson wonderful? What's she like? You know, <laughs> a little creepy. <laughs> I don't know, doctor. How's my foot? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was they. They were a really charming bunch. Uh, you know, I, I remember when um, she was just she was recurring at the time and. You know, I had my second kid at home, and she'd actually offered to babysit. She and her roommate. Oh. I know, right? That's they really were sweet. Adorable. Yeah. That's nice to hear. That's really, really nice to hear. Nice cast. You know, child actors can go a number of uh, a number of directions. It's a real crapshoot. Yes, it's a yes. real crapshoot. And if you look out, I was a child actor, so I definitely can understand how that can happen. Let's put yeah. it that way. Yeah. Um, I want to come full circle for a moment as we as we close out here and talk about your reunion with Cheng Pei Pei on the set of Mulan. Um, now, did you shoot? Were you part of the China unit or the New Zealand unit? I did not know there was a China unit. Oh, interesting. Honestly. So yeah. New Zealand. I, we, that was something that was um, not discussed. I was told because before the movie started, I did ask um, that, you know, where we were filming. And um, so... Um, yeah, I was not aware, but we filmed in New Zealand. I was in New Zealand for a couple months mm -hmm. and, um, two, three months. And, uh, as soon as I heard Chen Pei Pei, I think there's a photo on my Instagram. I came to Instagram very late. Um, and, uh, she, of her, cause you know, honestly, she laughed cause I said, Oh, Pei Pei, I used to be such I used to be such an annoying adolescent, you know, you were so, you had to be so patient with me. And she's like, well, you didn't really want to be there. You're, you know, you were kind of, I was kind of forced to do it because they thought it would help my Chinese. Pepe didn't speak English at the time. And, you know, it would give me some discipline. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, I mean, and it did. I still put my foot up while I brushed my teeth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that'll that'll give you discipline, all right. Um, how have you? I mean, you're you're in a film like Mulan with this cast of incredibly em empowered and dimensionalized Asian characters. How have you, if at all, seen the business sort of change over 
over these years? It's, it's, it's really, well, let's put it this way. There were so many times I thought we would be here sooner mm -hmm. and um, have been, you know, a little bit disappointed that we haven't moved here sooner. I'm really happy that this next generation of young Asian Americans are, um, uh, have a better understanding of their voice. I never knew I had much of a voice. I used to, I remember somebody saying, I studied with a wonderful woman, um, Peggy Fury, who kind of changed my life, really. Um, she was just life-changing. And the name, yeah. uh, I remember her saying, you know, she would have us do Pinter and um, Chekhov. And after one of her, she could be tough. And after getting a good, you know, response from her, I remember saying, Ugh, I just wish I could do this, these kind of roles in, you know, in, in my work life. Mm. And I remember her saying, you may not, because she was a realist at the time, but the roles that you do get, you will play better for having done this work. And I do believe that there's been something to that in that when I, sometimes I'm given something that I think could be problematic, but you know, when you humanize it, it's not. I mean, you know, I did this role in a movie called Laundromat where um, the, the, you know, she's a villainess basically. And mm -hmm. if you just play it as that, then yeah, she could be a dragon lady, whatever. But, you know, I really did some research on this woman. It was a fictionalized version. And, you know, given her upbringing and everything, I kind of, you can understand, you know, when you approach a role with empathy, you, it's not no longer, you know this, it's no longer one dimensional. And so, it's not like I say no to anything that has an accent or where I have to speak Chinese. Of course, I love doing, you know, a role that was meant for a blonde um, woman. <laughs> but um, when I do get those, I, I, you know, I just believe in humanizing them, not playing them like the cartoon character. Rosalind Chow, you remain an absolute delight. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. And that is an episode wrap on Rosalind Chow. You can find her on Twitter at Rosalind Chow and at Chow underscore time on Instagram. Chow time. She's on FX's Better Things this season, and she also appears on The First Lady for Showtime, which debuts April 17th. Forever. Household Faces is a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by John Ross Bowie, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Produced by Ben Blacker. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcast.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook. Until next time, when's lunch? <coughs>